a long time ago on a comics page far, far away. Greetings and welcome to May the Panel Be With You, the Star Wars comic book show brought to you by Punch-Up Entertainment. I am your humble host, Mike Gargoni, and joining me, as always, the Panda Baba to my Dr. Evazon? It's Wait John Campbell. Wait a minute, hold on. I feel John, like we're repeating ourselves. John, have we been here before? What's happening? I think I've seen this podcast before. We, may, But it's kind of like new and glossy, and there might be some added scenes to it i think there's some updated cgi oh yeah that's right and i hear uh i'm gonna shoot at you first before you shoot me this time oh maybe you should have done the intro then and i could just duck out of the way in a weird cgi head motion <laughs> no human being can replicate that yes folks it's special edition time yes indeed before we got too far afield in terms of our adaptations of star wars comics we have been covering the old marvel 1977 comics up to this point we thought we'd yes. jump 30 years no 20 years into the future yes. to the 1997 edition of the star wars a new hope adaptation that is right we're covering the special editions in comic book form this is this is a real level of nostalgia for me not that i love the special editions because like all star wars fans i have a love-hate relationship with them right mm -hmm. but boy this was you know before they were making the prequels and stuff this was the new kind of Star Wars thing, right? I'm sure you also went and saw these all in the theater when they came out, right? 100%. I got, saw them all in the theater. I replaced my VHS box set with yep. that, like, gold one with the Vader oh, on the yeah. side. Absolutely. I think I... Star Wars must be the thing I've owned the most copies of across the... It has to be. I right? cannot because make I that have... claim, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's up there for me. Um, I have a couple other ones, but for sure, I've had like every I, I we had because my dad had the original VHS of the Star Wars movies from when they were released by CBS Fox, which is crazy. <laughs> I think there was a time when that was one conglomerate. Uh, then the black cased ones. Mm -hmm. Yep, I own the those. Then the gold. Yep. Then the widescreen VHSs, then the DVDs, then the special edition DVDs, then the Blu-rays, and now the 4Ks. Mm -hmm. And progressively larger and larger box sets as more and more movies have been released. Because obviously there was right. the original trilogy box set, and then they came out with the prequel edition box set as yep. like the companion piece once all of those had come out in the late I 2000s. Had the, this is how much Star Wars will gouge you for this stuff. I had the collector's box of just Phantom Menace when it came out. Do you remember this? It was a single VHS of Phantom Menace, but it came with like artwork and a film cell. And I ate that shit up as a kid, man. I'm like, it's not 100%. enough to have the movie. I need all the stuff. Oh, I mean, look, that's the the glory of market synergy that is Star Wars, right? Is just the yeah. amount of stuff that came along with it. <laughs> yeah, that is that is very much the thing. There is a collect so. Here's another thing, too, that's fascinating to me. Did you have these comics, by the way? 
I did not because my mindset was always I own the movies. Why would I need the comic adaptation? Okay, yeah. This this leads me to this thing. Um, I think I might have had the Empire one, like just the collection of it, because I think somebody gave it to you know, like it was one of those things for being. I'm sure you were this too, where it's just like boy, like Star Wars. I uh, come <laughs> birthday, anything Star Wars, get him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, all my uh, relatives were from the deep south, of course. No, I don't know. But, um, but uh, that's right. Um, well, they, uh, it speaks to my own personal fandom that everyone's thought about that. In my family was dinosaurs or Godzilla. So, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Well, then I was, yeah. You would add the the either star franchise for me was the thing. Yes. It, 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 um, it was some kind of space thing. Uh, or then you got my father or my grandfather going to the dime store and just that's where you'd get like space action. Yes. You know, well, like, yeah. Oh, off brand stuff. There's a reason I found out about Gorgo and Gamera and all the other Godzilla <laughs> knockoffs as well. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. There was that sort of thing where it's like the 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 relative was like, I don't quite know what this is. So I don't know. You said he liked a space thing mm-hmm. or just comics. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, the thing uh, the thing about this though that gets me, I agree. What is the point? And to this day, they still do these comic adaptations of every. Star Wars movie and other movies as well, but particularly the Star Wars movies without fail. What is the point of these? Because I understand back like in 77 when we did those, mm-hmm. you couldn't go rewatch the movie. Right. So you needed a way to relive it. Mm-hmm. And I get that. But by this point, why are we doing this? We are doing this for a couple of reasons. One, because at this point, and despite the fact that the version we're going to be showing off today, the digital version that is available on Marvel Limited, has the big Marvel logo on the top left corner. Yeah, that is very, not, much, very much not replacing a former Dark Horse logo. Well, and that's what I'm getting at, is Dark Horse firmly had the Star Wars license as of 1997, and they were looking to make it... I mean... Say what you will about Dark Horse as a business, but one of their cornerstones in the late 90s and early 2000s was adaptations of other popular uh, franchises. Star Wars, Aliens, Predator, Terminator, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I mean, it was kind of what they most of what I bought of Dark Horse comics as a kid were, yes, things that tied into movies or TV shows I liked. It was that Uh, and and Hellboy. Yeah. And yeah, and then Hellboy. Yeah, exactly. Now they're really, I mean, some of it is they've lost some of these licenses without their own control, but I do feel like they've really tried to rebrand themselves as a creator-owned image type company now. Mm-hmm. And they've uh, done that to greater and lesser extents. So you've got your Black Hammers yeah. and stuff like that. They have some great stuff, but then they also have stuff where you go, huh? Yeah, exactly. So at this time, when it came to their Star Wars comics, a lot of them are hit and miss. Like there's a wide variance of quality when it comes to that. So if you're a star Wars fan in the late nineties, and we've talked about this a little bit on this show, but also on our previous shows that at, especially in the late nineties before the prequels really got going, any star Wars was the star Wars you had. Oh God. Yeah. I mean, I bought as I had so many dark horse comics. I'm sure you did as well. Of Star Wars because it was the it was the next morsel of story of this universe I love. So when it comes to adaptations in a comic book form, 
especially for collectors, I feel like having an adaptation of A New Hope that feels a little bit more in line with the movies that are being released, there's some appeal mm -hmm. to that. And there is an appeal to being able to consume something in a bite-sized portion that doesn't take you an hour and 52 minutes. Sure. So, I, I, I mean... I get I, I get it to a certain extent, but also at the same time, and we'll talk about this going into this book, there are some like weird omissions and weird abridging, I think is the best way to put it. The, this is an abridged yeah. version of the Star Wars episode. In, four, in some ways, I found severely abridged, but yet also, yes, abridged is right, because the big thing that I think when we when we actually open this book up, compared to the weird oddities of the 70s stuff, there's also just some slavish, like, well, these are just lines from the movie. Yeah, exactly. And I'm going, and I was kind of, I ended up, I ended up not even consciously skimming this issue more than anything because I was just going, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, looking for the deviations from the movie I know. And so, yeah, the things that stood out are like, where's this? Why is that? Why are they showing that? You know, more so than it's just like, well, that is what Darth Vader says. And I just mentioned the whole collector aspect of it, but let's get into this cover because that's going to be a big part of the whole collector aspect right off the bat. So you yeah. see this cover that we have here is Star Wars, A New Hope, Legends. Uh, I should actually go over the creative team here. We are covering the Star Wars colon A New Hope dash special edition 1997 number one. Uh, our creative yeah. team here is we've got Bruce Jones writing, uh, scripting, mm -hmm. obviously he's basing this whole thing off of Star Wars. We've got uh, what? at least one legend here, Eduardo Barreto on art I was and inks. Say, uh, and, and I would say that across the board is the um, the standout to this to me. Yeah. Uh, just especially when you're doing the comparison, but yeah. Uh, we've got Al Williamson doing additional inks. We've got James Sinclair on colors and uh, Steve DeTuro on letters. And actually, yeah. I'm going to have some beef with the the letterer uh throughout Ooh. this throughout this book but Ooh, this i can't wait to see <laughs> but right off the bat we have this cover and this cover is gorgeous this cover is gorgeous but what supremely what you should take note of is in the bottom right corner we have a quarter dome of the death star Hello. And one of the big selling points of this particular book as it was being released was that the four covers for the four different issues could be combined into one large mosaic art piece. Dude, that is 90s comics to a T. 100%. That was the whole thing. Man, we, we This is the era we became fans in, right? The lenticular covers, the 3D covers, mm -hmm. the connecting covers. Oh, man, it was all about... The collecting of it, which right. is still the case now, but that's more niche. I feel like now it has switched more to, especially with digital and trades being so popular. It really is like, uh, don't you just want to read these stories? But we grew up in there and was like, no, it's it's not enough. You got to display these suckers. Right. So I promise you there is somebody out there who at one point, if not still today, has the four covers of these books framed together in some yeah. kind of matte background so that they are combined with the Death Star at the centerpiece. And I feel like had we been a little bit older, we might be that person. I've never been huge on the whole collecting aspects of comics. No. Like, it, no. even if you look at, like, my rarer books, they're all dog-eared and red and the spines yeah. are broken because I read my books. 
yeah, we're really we are comics fans for the stories contained within comics, less so than the like. I've never had that as well. That's why I've never gotten into the variants. I've never been. Why would I pay more for a copy of something that has a different cover? Mm. Um, the old, I have some fr uh, some framed comics on my wall, but only because they're signed by people, not because there's anything about the comics. Well, and like certain comics I've maybe collected multiple versions of because it means something to me. Yeah, and I think that's more, uh, you know, uh, look, if you're into the collecting of comics, we're not here to harp on you. That's no, your no, no, thing. No, 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 no. Um, you know, uh, i.e. see the toy displays behind me. I understand the concept. And, of and I've got a shelf of D&D books, half of which yeah. I've never used. So, like, we, look, we, I collect other things. Don't get me wrong. We understand the collector mindset. My God. I just, <laughs> just comics was never my thing. Yeah. No, that's it. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but yes, immediately I will say, uh, whoa, it's like, uh, look at just how much more import is put on this cover than what we've seen over at Marvel in 77. Like, this is firmly like oh star wars matters and we need this to be gorgeously depicted and it's a great cover um and I also don't think Barreto's actually done the cover here i'm not 100 percent sure who uh, no it's uh it has a it has a credit to uh it has a signature here from dorman and i see cover artist on the inside dave dorman who i don't know there we go and um but great stuff great sort of classical painting almost to the drew struzan who did the original star wars posters mm. echoing that sort of classic painted style um but the other thing i'll say about this just looking at this i have nostalgia for man this looks like a dark horse star wars comic doesn't it oh yeah just this cover even the way it's the new hope one of four i'm like oh man i remember going to the comic book store and getting these Star Wars comics and going, okay, I have one and three. I need two of four, mm -hmm. you know, for whatever storyline I was collecting or whatever. I uh, those, you know, in a in a, I I both miss and don't miss the days of digging through, hoping to find something where I can't just go online and type in a thing and get a comic sent to me. Well, speaking of typing in comics, I do want to, before we get into the comic proper, I do want to harp a little bit on how we're reading these comics. I don't know. Mm. I'm assuming you're using the Marvel Unlimited app. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. To display the comic as we do on the on the YouTube version of this show, which yeah. if you're only listening to the show, please come join us over on YouTube. You can see our beautiful faces and the comic we're talking about in the midst mm -hmm. of them. But the browser version of Marvel Unlimited, mm. boy, it could use some work. Just putting that oh, out there. Oh, wow. I've never used the browser. I only I do it on my iPad. I've never yeah, done and that. to find the book we're talking about today, I actually had to use, like, Google search Kung Fu to find it God. specifically. I couldn't do it through the search function of Marvel Unlimited on the browser. I, I will say even the app version has its issues in terms of finding things. Yeah. The, I, I, the recent update to it, and this is what people tuned in for, uh, but uh, the recent update to it, I have found, I used to be able to browse, because I used to just go on there without a plan and just go, what do you got? Let's see what looks interesting to me. That's harder to do. Mm -hmm. um, my just casual browsing of Marvel Unlimited and discovering stuff where I'm like, I didn't know there was a this series from this artist. Oh, you know, whatever. Yeah. That's harder now. And so I did have to, I even had to go, uh, you know, specifically it's like Star Wars on New Hope special edition here. I went as far as having to use like the issue number of the release date and quotes so that I was getting that exact wordage via a Google search, not uh, on the website itself. Man, I know that's like uh, what a modern <laughs> problem, but it is like, yeah. Jesus, that is so much work in today's world. Anyway. So let's uh, 
Yeah, well, you want to correct speaking thing of open? work? Yeah, I want to highlight something here that we haven't seen thus far in the Star Wars comics, but well, it's I think so it's the same. key to my appreciation and reading of Star Wars comics, and that is this fucking timeline on the right. Yeah, side. man. I used to have a bookmark from Dark Horse that had this timeline on it too, or mm-hmm, it had mm-hmm. it had like a cool Boba Fett painting on the front. On the back, it was like, and it was like you'd, each book you'd pick up, you have to go, okay, now see where does the all right? If this is where New Hope is, right. then this this kids, this is how it used to be for us. And we didn't I, have Wikipedia, but I I want to call this out for a couple of reasons. One, yeah, this was kind of like how I navigated Star Wars for the longest time was timelines like this. Mm-hmm. And specifically, though, if you look at the period just before the book we're talking about here, so we've yeah. got this big crunch in the timeline that's where <laughs> all the prequel stuff is <laughs> that yes. hasn't happened yet. Yes, that's true, because it's all, uh, I mean, is this actually like Old Republic stuff? Is that what the, the tale, or this, the Tales of the Jedi stuff, right? Uh, Tales of the Jedi stuff is like even older. Um, That's, yeah, I remember dabbling in those comics. Um, and, like, some of that stuff I'm pretty familiar with, like the Sith War stuff, the the Dark Lords of the Sith, because that was all tied in with KOTOR as well. Um, right, yes. But or yeah, it would it be in a few years, not as of the release of this book. But at the, at, the, at the release of this book, where that crunches is also because Lucas is actively making the prequels at this point. So it almost seems like a conscious thing to go, eh. Because it's, you know, we're two years out from Phantom Menace at this point. So it's like we really can't commit to anything in that time. But the stuff that you and I grew up on is the stuff that I want to talk about later. And part of the reason we started this show and one of the reasons I'm excited to get to this stuff later and why we won't be so, like, slavishly sticking with the old Marvel stuff and kind of hopping Mm -hmm. around going forward is that you look down at the bottom of this... uh, timeline here post return of the jedi and you've got okay. some of my favorite star wars stories we've got the rogue squadron comic we've got heir to the empire dark force rising dark empire empire's end like all of that stuff is stuff that oh yeah that was my star wars same here man i never missed an issue of rogue squadron that was my star wars comic man i mm-hmm. loved it i was i remember when dark empire came out that was like oh my god Luke Skywalker has a love interest, and he might go to the dark side. Um, <laughs> all that stuff was just like, and and that it, it was all, um, it, it was less like final in a way than it is now. I mean, it, we treated it as canon, but I'm talking about because it was a comic book. It was all like, could you imagine? Mm-hmm. More so than like now, it's like a movie for people to go. I didn't like it. I don't remember <laughs> anybody going. I was really disappointed by Dark Empire. I'm sure there were, but, you know. Sure. We were kids, so it was all just like, oh, my God, new Star Wars stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and especially those adaptations of the Thrawn books. We got Heir to the Empire, Dark Force Rising. I still have my hardcover collection of those somewhere around here. And you talk about, like, why do a comic book adaptation, but, like, that's how I absorbed those stories at first. Same here. Before I read the novels. And and, uh, same with Shadows of the Empire for me as well. Actually, I read the Mm -hmm. Shadows of the Empire comic. Uh, and then, of course, that whole multi, which we'll get into that. We'll have to do like a whole um, Shadows of the Empire special because that was like the massive multimedia yeah. push for that. Um, and like the thing about that was like the comic was different than the novel was different than the video game. They kind of all like flowed together. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I just wanted to highlight that timeline because it does like when I crack this book open, despite the flaws that we're going to talk about going forward. Yeah, this like returned me into a centered position of Star Wars fandom that I hadn't felt in a while. Absolutely. It really does take you back to uh, 
I'm not gonna say a bad, but a simpler time as a simpler Star Wars. Time. It's a, a simpler more... <laughs> time, a more civilized age, one might but say. Yeah, um, let's keep going because right off the bat, we can see such a huge departure from that 1977 adaptation when we devote a whole page to a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. That is one of the biggest things, and we and that's a little bit like what we were talking about with the cover too, and and now the timeline as well. Star Wars is a thing now, so it's like uh, it needs to be put up on a pedestal. It needs to be lovingly recreated. So it's like, oh, you want to see that font on a star field? Oh yeah, this is Star Wars, baby, and it is mm -hmm. like uh, in a way that there's no iconography. I mean, they, as we talked about for the first several issues, they're not even using the Star Wars logo. Over right. at Marvel, we're using yeah. that dumb thing with the stars in it. So, yeah, it is sort of a thing where it's like every bit of Star Wars is iconic now. Right. So when we get to the next page and it is a faithful recreation of the blockade runner flying away and the back of the Star Destroyer, as we get our opening crawl in the the narrative text here, we... Uh, which is, yeah. Which is word for word the stuff we saw in the movie as opposed to an adaptation of the, the shooting script. Correct. Uh, and yeah, all of a sudden, look at the detail on this Star Destroyer, man. You're like, oh, this is drawn by somebody who's waited their whole life to draw this Star Destroyer or whatever, right? <laughs> like it's sort of, as opposed to like, meh, meh, meh. I mean, you know, Chaykin was just like, I got to get this out. Here you go. This is kind of what they showed me. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, oh, every individual engine port and thing and detail. And yes. And the star, even the stars are so thought out in this, right? Right. And the planet below. Yeah. Um, I, I will say uh the 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 slavish devotion of the script is I guess to be expected, but also at least a welcome change from the needlessly added prose of one Roy Thomas. <laughs> yeah. The, I will say this about this book we're going to be covering here. Uh nothing has been needlessly added. No, no. <laughs> uh that that is that is the big thing. Which I will say makes it a somewhat boring read as somebody who's seen this movie a billion times. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, just go ahead. Yeah. It it creates this sense of skimming, like you said, where yeah. your mind is sort of filling in the blanks because Star Wars is such the established thing that it is that you can kind of see key frames as presented in this comic and the music fills in, the text fills in, the sound effects fill in. So there's a lot. This book feels a little lazier because of that. When we get in here, we don't have any sound effects present. We don't have any like motion lines. We don't have any Not real dynamic, uh, dynamic motion in the panel because your brain is filling in exactly what's happening here. Uh, it's feeling exactly what's happening, and because we, as this thing you're talking about, there's a bridge nature to this, right? Um, there is this sense of like, oh man, this is like the network TV version of Star Wars or something, right? It it, it feels less epic. It feels like uh, we're just gonna play the beats you need to know. It's like somebody telling you the Star Wars story. So it's like, ah, and then like, um, I don't know, Darth Vader comes on the ship or something. Let's go to the next page because I think that like really typifies what we're talking about here is we get a quick brief scene of 3PO and R2 moving about the uh, the corridors of the Tantive Four, and we get the scene where the 
uh, Empire breaches and Darth Vader comes aboard the ship, but it's all done on a single page. So like we're losing those moments of tension as the rebels are waiting for the door to come oh. down, but those are all getting filled so in, in the gutters by your brain. Exactly. Cause so much of what I love about that first scene of star Wars, which is such a great opening is especially if you've ne- you know, if you've seen it for the first time, which I know is hard for people like you and I to remember uh, seeing it. Yeah. For the f- I have no memory of seeing it for the first time. Uh, right. Not really. But I remember watching this like VHS a lot. But that moment when all the rebels are loading up their rifles and they're waiting at the door and you're just sitting there going, oh, the filmmaking's so good of like what's coming through there. We don't know what the context of this is. Uh, and instead, the focus is on 3PO and R2 because the people making this book already know they're the characters to focus on. Yeah. And this compressing and moving a lot. really comes at the cost of the dialogue and the beats of the dialogue. And I, the letter is only so much to blame. I was mostly joking earlier, but like when we mm-hmm. have these moments of, uh, 3PO saying all at once, there'll be no escape for the princess this time. What's that? As though it's all kind of like one sentence and having yeah. breaks in the dialogue bubbles is so key to giving pacing to dialogue in comics. Yeah. So it, it can make, and we'll get more egregious examples of this going forward in the book, but there are definitely moments where it okay. feels like some iconic dialogue is all shoved into a single bubble because that's the panel you have. Well, and because we're doing this thing, and we've talked about this before on other podcasts we've done, because particularly American monthly comics are, you've got your 22 pages. So it is like, we got to do, we have four issues we have 88 pages of comic to get this movie across. So you really are, you, you, you're making decisions based on pre-allotted space as opposed to just going, I think this scene should take four pages. It's like, I can't. I have to do this in one page. So mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff we're talking about, I want it clear, we're not really harping on the creative team of this. They've been given an assignment, and they're, they're being forced to make decisions mostly just because of how comics are printed, right? Yeah, exactly. And obviously this had to come out on a timetable to align probably with the release of the uh, the, the special editions themselves. Yeah. Um, this February book, of 97. That was when the special editions dropped? That was when A New Hope came out, because I distinctly remember February, March, and then April. My birthday's in April, and for my birthday we went to... The Return of the Jedi one, and they came okay. out month, a month apart. So, and this issue and was, was released was released January eighth, nineteen ninety seven. So, yeah, because this, especially at this point, where we saw the original comic in reaction mm-hmm. to the movie, we're now in a place where the comics are part of the promotion for a movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so by the time we get to April, when issue four of this is released, uh, I just mm-hmm. I, I have not checked it, and I, maybe I should have done some more due diligence to this. But I would be curious to see when the uh, Empire and Jedi uh, special edition yeah, also come out. It would have been interesting. I would you would have thought they would have done it as three like graphic novels or something, right? Like each. Mm-hmm. One, because the movies came out a month apart when they re-released them. Um, so crazy to think about, too, that that was number one at the box office. That New Hope re-release. <laughs> a people have already seen 20 years ago and could see anytime they want. But it was like, we got to go back to the theater for this. And I remember mm-hmm. like my dad being like actually emotional about, I get to share this theatrical experience with my son of a thing I saw as a kid. 
And it was like, oh my God, you have no idea what you're about to experience. You've seen Star Wars, but not like this. Right. No, and, and I, I think a very that was similar experience. Well, I think that was part of it was like our generation that just grew up with Star Wars as a ubiquitous pop culture thing. We got to come as close to experiencing it for the first time again. That was mm -hmm. part of it. And then, yes, the previous generation being able to go, now I can take my kids. It really was. Um, it's so it's that is the thing I miss a little bit about the the simpler time of Star Wars. Right. When it was sort of a a, a singular thing that was untouched. Really, right? Like, mm -hmm. I mean, and I, I, I love all the Star Wars stuff that's come, but now it's such a franchise and IP, and there's a million things, and you, some people can watch some and not others. But it used to be like, oh my God, are they putting Star Wars back in theaters? Star Wars means everything to me. And when I say that, I mean this movie. Yeah. Interesting. I'm looking through, and again, maybe this is just an issue of uh, being able to find stuff on. Uh, Marvel <laughs> Unlimited, but I do yeah. not see either the special edition of Empire or Jedi in comic book form here. So I'm wondering, Oh, it, um, I, I know there are adaptations of them in comic book form, but I definitely uh, had the Empire one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but leastways, let's get back to this comic because yeah, we have Darth Vader coming into the hallway here and on the next page we get a extremely truncated version of the Leia is captured scene Missing oh my, my favorite line of dialogue. Uh, you know, that they had in the original comics. I've set mine to kill! Oh, that was awesome, yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> the thing that's crazy is you don't see her put the info in R2. I know, right? Like, this is the first, I think, really big example of this abridged thing of we get no even like in silhouette of the classic Leia leaning over and putting in the data disc no. into R2. We see Leia captured and then it's just in dialogue between 3PO and R2 that you get that he has the plans, which is just uh kind of bad storytelling if we weren't if we didn't have the movie to fill in gaps, I would say this is bad comics writing. Yeah. You're like, no. Wait, what? I think this is this comic overall is a pretty poor adaptation of Star Wars. Agreed. It's it's it in its in its you know seeking out the brevity of it. Mm -hmm. It is leaving out a lot of key things. The abridgment is doing real damage to this as a story on its own. Beyond just like I want to see scenes from a movie I like on a comics page, right? But like I mean, actually telling a narrative, trouble. Skipping right from the Darth the, Vader yeah. coming in saying I find me the passengers, I want them alive, to Leia getting stunned within two panels of each other is really jarring. Well, and like, if you go back to that page, the, the Vader entrance, while kind of a cool drawing of Vader, doesn't really have, like, isn't presented as like, oh shit, it's Darth Vader. Because like, when he comes in, in the movie, I mean, he's just walking down a hallway, but the music, the framing, everything about it is like, oh shit, this dude's the badass. Also, he is not leading the charge, which I always found interesting in that first movie, is yeah. he's coming in after the stormtroopers just to sweep through the hallways and go, did, did y'all fuck this up? Yeah, it's sort of like, I mean, that's the other thing. It presents him as, oh, this is the boss. Mm -hmm. um, instead, here it seems like he's like, charge into the battlefield, my men! Which, there's obviously a place for Darth Vader to do that. I've seen great comics where Darth Vader's leading the charge, but... And that's what I'm saying, like, in isolation, this panel looks awesome with him reaching out his hand and them all shooting by him. And he's like, tear this ship apart. But 
even the way he says that in the movie is he he he's he's like walking away when he says it. Though he's like tear the ship apart. Well, he's also like pointing at one of the stormtroopers, being like, yeah. "I want those prisoners. I want them alive." He's barking orders, and mm-hmm. and it, it's it's awesome. Like it is, you just go here. You don't get as much of the military commander. You get like this guy going, "Oh yeah, shoot everybody, man." And on the next page, we actually miss one of the things that makes Darth Vader so scary is we totally lose the whole him choking a dude to death on the uh, Tantive Four. The whole, like, yes. this is an ambassadorial ship. It's like, if this is an ambassadorial ship, where is your ambassador, Crush Larynx? Yeah, that's and that's kind of the interesting thing about this comic, because when we talk about what is the audience for this, people like you and I who know this movie backwards and forwards are going, where's this? Where's that? So it's frustrating, but but seemingly aren't people like us the people they want to sell this comic to? And again, there's a collector mentality to this. There's a whole yeah. resurgence of the collector mentality because of the release of the uh, the special editions in theaters. There was a fervor around this time that I think you and I were maybe like a little too young to really we grasp. Were... Yeah, that's true. Like the big thing about it, of course, for me, the 97 was the action figures. And I'm sure you also had a million mm-hmm. of those. And that was because I think of our age and our interest was more like, oh, my God, those um, uh, what were they like? Oh, that that whole run of action figures, those those three. And well, they were a little bit big. They're like four inch figures, four inch figures. Yeah, they were like slightly bigger than the original Kenner run, but the smaller than your average figure. Yeah, they weren't six inches, um, but they could all fit in that like Millennium Falcon carrying case. And they were all like pretty Mm -hmm. decent molded plastic, not a ton of articulation, but you could have a crap ton of them. Oh, I, yeah, and I had a million of them. I mean, just absolutely, you know, that was that uh, uh, that was that era when they were pretty cheap, too. I remember they were also like $5 as opposed to $6 yeah. or something. Yeah, They're yeah. $4, whatever. They were like a dollar cheaper. So that was where you're going like, yes, I have Death Star Control Operative or whatever. You know, you mm-hmm. start to have like nameless characters that are like... Man, if we're going to Fred Meyer, I'm getting a Star Wars guy. You'd best bet I had... Uh... Oh, yeah, 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 that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, that, that's, I had bigs, you know what I mean? Like that kind of yeah. thing where you're going like, yeah, man. Um, so, yeah, so they, we get them. But, yeah, with, within three pages or two pages, is it two pages? No, it's three pages because we have the opening thing. We've already got uh, 3PO and R2 on their way down to Tatooine. Yeah, and we get this confrontation between Leia and Vader and... <sighs> Again, we're like, this is a weird pose on Vader to me. Yeah, I'm not quite sure. Why is his knee bent? Because his back foot is moving. It's like he's walking forward. But it's such a weird thing to like when you when it's a still image to be like, he's he's lurching forward like not a person. I mean, there's an argument to be made. What do you think of Vader's speech bubbles in this with like the pink accents? I like the idea that Vader is separated in some way, like a mechanical voice. I don't know why pink speech bubbles are the choice, though. I know this is just a result of retroactively, this is what my mind goes to now. But like to me, those are Gwenpool's speech bubbles at this point in my head. Yeah, well, yes. But I, but I think even, even aside from if you take the literal thing about Gwenpool, it's a bubblegum pop, you know... It seems young. It seems feminine. It's an odd choice for a booming mechanical voice. Yeah, and I don't know 
what the it's weird association between the mechanical raspiness of Darth Vader and these yeah speech bubbles are again it's really just to highlight the difference that he talks differently somehow but, but seems odd yeah but we see that in a lot of Star Wars comics and they'll do it in sort of like the zigzaggy like computerized way or in mm-hmm. some I mean there's lots of ways that I love when people play with the word bubbles to make characters seem different on the page um but it is it, it's it's more like what what's going on here yeah. Uh, it, it's just an odd choice. It doesn't feel like a well... It didn't feel like there's any thought to it. They just go, do something different. I don't know, pink? Okay. Well, and I've also seen pink and, like, redder speechables used if, like, someone's, like, dying or in pain. You can use that color to accentuate, like, oh, uh, there's, like, a uh, tearing of flesh or Actually, blood involved in their words. What if, what if they had made this, like, a deeper red, more like the Sith mm. red, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. could have been more foreboding. The pink is weird. It's, it's, uh... It, it, it's a little, it's too light for this villainous character, I think. No, actually, never mind, John. I take back everything I said, because we all know that pink is Anakin Skywalker's favorite color. So this is clearly just oh, an homage yeah. to what will come later. He hates sand, but he loves pink. It's true. Yeah, that's the line they cut from Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Mm, I hate sand. No, it's I don't think people... Coarse and rough coarse. And gets everywhere, but pink, pink really makes me feel good inside. Yeah. Padme, do you have a, like a pink dress you could put on? You could really relax. <laughs> I don't think she does. Uh, no, I don't remember her ever appearing. Pink is actually really not a color you see a lot in Star Wars. You know, now that you say that, yeah, interesting. Maybe that's <laughs> why it feels. There, yeah, yeah. Maybe it does sort of not feel of the universe. Yeah, hmm, interesting. Um. All right. <clears throat> also, uh, that's a <clears throat> that's a wonky looking stormtrooper helmet on that. Uh, yeah. Second. Yeah, that, I blame the anchor on that one. We lost some details on that one. I will say, one of my big notes across the board in this, interesting where there's a lot of detail and where there's not a lot of detail in this comic. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like, the faces in this are really undetailed for the most part, which I think is interesting. But you get every little pouch on a Stormtrooper's utility belt. That's the thing where I'm going like it's interesting what you're focusing on and it does sort of feel like the 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 fandom of a kid who grew up with the toys and going I want to render the cool shit that these guys are wearing or whatever but then it's like I don't know Leia's face is like a couple lines you know it's just interesting it's a, to me. I think it speaks to another one of those things where your head is going to fill in more details about what Carrie Fisher's face looks like and so right. actually the fewer details are actually there the less you will have to like nitpick details about True. what the actual face looks like until we get to Peter Cushing. <laughs> once uh, again, they yeah. can't not lovingly render that man who just had one of the great faces in film history or three PO. Let's go to this next page to where we yeah. hard cut to let's compress all of the droid wandering through the desert thing down to a single page, which again, <laughs> I'm not against. Well, I agree because it is the uh, uh, it's always the thing where I go, look, Star Wars, one of the greatest movies ever made, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that section with the droids a little long. Mm-hmm. You, you, I, it's always the thing I feel like every time I watch, I forget just how long it takes to get to Luke Skywalker. Yeah, because you're like, oh yeah. shit, it's like 20 minutes before we get to the main character. Uh, <laughs> that's three that PO's face in this middle panel here is like, oh, suddenly he has a skull head. Yeah, three PO, three PO is also kind of inconsistent in this thing and moves in weird ways as always. I mean, yeah, it's tough to Comics love to. It's the thing where it's like three PO is freed up. We've talked about this in the seventies books. Three PO is three is freed up because he's a drawing now, 
but I want him to still move like the guy in the limited costume because that's what 3PO moves like. At least we're not getting R2's legs literally walking forward. No, they do understand how R2 functions. Or when he grabs, like, didn't he grab something or, like, push something with one of his legs, like an arm? Yeah. And that? Like, yeah, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, so they wander the desert for a page here. And R2 is taken by this sand crawler. And we don't even see 3PO taken by the sand crawler. To be fair, we don't see 3PO taken by the Sandcrawler in the movie either. We do do the thing here where 3PO just sees the Sandcrawler in the distance and he waves it down. And then once R2 is taken, he finds 3PO again in the Sandcrawler. I guess that's true. It's just, this is forcing me to think about that because it's like 3PO sees the Sandcrawler. Boom, close up of R2. Boom, they've got him. When we go to the next page. Yeah, look, we go from droids have just landed on Tatooine to on the next page at the bottom panel, suddenly we're introduced to the Lars family in rapid succession. Oh, it's wild, man. Because we just get, all we get is this one panel of this. And you better believe any new special edition imagery is in this comic, obviously. Oh, the CG uh, transport ship that is slowly taking off in the background in the special edition is here now. Yeah. Dewbacks are in full force. Yeah, the, that's the Dewbacks. I was trying to remember the name. Yeah, the do- But so, yeah, because we get this this scouting party that's just our little transitional thing going, I'm looking over here. All right. Cut Look, to... Sir, droids. Now, yeah, and now Which- they're being... <laughs> In the art here, we have this stormtrooper saying, look, sir, droids. In the movie, we push in on him and he holds up like a sprocket or something to be like, there's some indication <laughs> that there are droids here. In this art, we're just you know like, like, look, sir, droids. Do they see the droids in the distance? What's going on here? You can, he's holding the sprocket, but it's far in the background. Look at that guy saying, look, sir, droids. He's looking at something in his hand, but it's so small and undetailed that you're like, huh? Yeah, because we need that big what? art of the do back up front. The dewback and the guy with the binoculars. That's the important thing about this scene. Not critical evidence. I, I This is the thing where I'm going, dude, just give me two panels. Take this, cut it in two, and go, even if you just did like a close-up of the hand holding it and said, look, sir, yeah. droid. Sorry to Monday morning quarterback this comics writing, but... No, it's okay, because you could even do it as a reverse of the panel below it, because we've got an inset panel here showing the the sand crawler in the distance as like the Vista shot uh, in the smaller planet. And mm-hmm. then the larger panel is what uh, happens after that, which is yeah. them arriving at the I like that. homestead. That, that, is at least, that is an attempt to, in a short amount of time, convey movement and passage of time. I commend that. Mm-hmm. And they could have done uh, something very similar yet. in the panel above with like an inset panel with a hand holding the thing with dialogue saying, looks are droids. Yeah. I just, I just think it's, yeah. It, it's just weird. It's more just like, look, sir, droids. What? Mm-hmm. Where? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. All right. Let's go to the next page. And we've got Uncle Owen. And uh, Luke. Our introduction to Luke here is so sudden, as opposed to in the movie when we have Aunt Beru like, calling him out and saying, Luke, Luke. Um, we just get yeah, him just coming in behind again, Uncle Owen here. I don't think Lucas is like known for being an amazing director but much like what i was talking about the darth vader the introduction of luke is also like oh as an audience you go visual movie language is telling me this guy luke Mm -hmm. luke he turns he runs you're going like okay 
that's a main character introduction. That's a villain introduction. Han Solo gets a similar, you know what I mean? Like there is a, a and Obi-Wan, he's very good. Lucas is always very good at the iconography of stuff. And this is kind of just going like, I don't know, there's this guy standing there. Yeah. And again, your brain is filling in a lot of the details here of this whole transition because within a page, we already are getting to Luke uncovering this, the message of Leia. This was wild. This was wild to me. This is one of the most like jarring where I was like, whoa, because we lose all the stuff about the droid that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. That's Skippy. All gone. <laughs> That's all gone. But I think he has a name, John. His name is Skippy. He may be possessed by a force ghost. We'll get into that comic later. Oh, Jesus Christ. I do. I do remember. <laughs> stuff. Um also, this jaw, the, uh, this first thing, this Jawa head that's turned is weird. Once it's another weird like position. We don't even get any dialogue from the Jawas, which I found weird. Like Utini is an established <laughs> sound effect at this point. I played the Star Wars droids PC game where you're building your own droids, and Utini was featured prominently. Dude, Utini, Utini is my life. Uh, <laughs> but it is like when we talk, it's so interesting as we've talked about the thing. The Star Wars is so iconic at this point. So when you're leaving out stuff, yeah, the it, it, the Jawas don't matter in this, and the Jawas are a small but memorable part of the movie. So it's mm -hmm. so weird to me that there's like none of the negotiation with them, none of the sense of you talk about the the, the appeal of the world building of this, none of these droid dealers and. You don't get what I think is a key 3PO-R2 moment of going, hey, what about that one? That's basically going, that's my friend. You should take him, right? Like, I think that's key for 3PO's character. Yeah. In fact, that there, is, is a, just like, there is no bit of dialogue on this comics page establishing that they're buying R2. No! It, it, <laughs> liter it literally cuts to... He cuts from Uncle Be Uncle Owen saying, can you speak Bocce? 3PO going, of course, sir. Bocce is like a second language to me. And he says, all right, shut up. I'll take this one. Luke, take these two over to the garage. These two? He never indicated a second one. A hundred percent. That is, once again, <laughs> that's objectively bad storytelling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then, then we hard cut, cut to... Him going, you two know against uh, know of the rebellion against the Empire, and <laughs> whoa, none of the whole like, oh, we were aboard a starship. Oh, your friend's a little banged up. The lead into that discussion about, oh, these two droids have seen battle, and also this transition visually on a page is wild. This cut, you, you don't want to do this kind of wild shift in place and time like this. In the middle of a page, there's nothing they don't do like I talk like the cutaway with the 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 scout troopers mm -hmm. actually did work as a transition. Here, there's no transition. It's just like and hours later inside somewhere. Yeah, and again, we're losing it, so it, much in the gutters here that you, as a fan of Star Wars who's been watching this movie for twenty years, are I guess expected to just fill it in your brain. So you've got to. It, it forces you to ask the question, who is this story for? And the answer is only Star Wars fans. You cannot read this right. without having seen the movies. But as a Star Wars fan, this thing is pissing me off, too. So <laughs> exactly. it's weird. It's a weird. It's weird. And so, yeah, we get the 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 hologram of Leia that comes out of this. It comes out mm -hmm. of R2. Uh, and we set up the whole... Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. What's this? 
Oh, she's beautiful. Don't worry. She's your sister. I, I do want to talk about uh, some stuff later. Uh, I think actually in the next issue that we'll get to about when they start. Like now that they know that, it's interesting to see how they draw Luke and Leia. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, I but, yeah. will. Something I do notice in this book just as a whole is a supreme lack overall of R2-D2 sound effects. We get yes, a little bit here, the, but overall, like, like we don't chirp. have much. Yeah. Uh, cool, because we have a ton over in the 70s, so we're kind of sure. used to like... Well, and but like, yeah, I've seen other books that it. use that to great effect as well. Yeah, they're just better at writing words that aren't completely insane. We're going, what? <laughs> uh, so uh, then we get, of course, we go to the next page. He says he's a prophet Obi-Wan Kenobi. Wonder if he means old Ben Kenobi. And then Luke's got to go to dinner. And, and... Uh, kind of talk about the detail or lack of detail... Look at this detail on Aunt Baru. She is so lovingly rendered. Yeah, and whereas Uncle Owen kind of looks like a bunch of putty that was thrown together. As you say, Uncle Owen's looking rough in this book, man. I mean, he's got some city miles on him, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. That's time out in the sun uh, farming moisture, man. Uh, And then, yeah, we get all this stuff about your father. I mean, this is all to be expected. But, okay... Uh, let's get to the end of this thing and just focus on the complete downplaying of one of, got to be a top five most iconic Star Wars shot, Luke looking at the twin suns. Yeah, and we don't have the suns. We don't have the suns, and we just it's just jammed into this last panel, and 3PO's here, Luke's doing the pose, but none of the iconography of one of the central images of Star Wars that's conjured up. You don't see a montage of Star Wars clips that doesn't probably start with that, right? Like, mm. that is the wanderlust and yearning of for adventure that is the catalyst. That's sort of the thing that makes us all Luke Skywalker, right? We're all supposed to feel that, like, oh, man, I know what this is. If I could just escape beyond this horizon, there's a better life for me out there. It's the thing, it's, it's, it's the thing that separates things like Star Wars from other science fiction when it's remembering to tell a human story, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and here it's just like, I don't know, he's looking off the panel somewhere and this robot's talking to him. Boy, I'm gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, boy, I didn't think it was possible, but they found a way to make Luke even whinier. <laughs> well, I, I, I'll take whiny over rage monster that we got in the 70s comics. So. Well, yeah, he, he, he needs to get on some sort of... Uh, a uh, chemical imbalance issue or something. He needs to talk to somebody <laughs> in the seventies book. My God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, they, they, and then all of a sudden, but once again, it's like quick, we're throwing this in. It's like, Hey, R2 has gone. Cut to the next page. We're looking for him. Yep. We're off in the land speeder. We're cruising around and we've got it on our scanner. Might be our little R2 in it. Hit the accelerator. Uh, they catch up with R2 and we'll have no more of this Obi-Wan Kenobi bullshit. But then, uh-oh, what's this? It's the Tusk <laughs> I thought Warriors. that was a bold change by the... Yeah, I thought all that dialogue you just said was bold changes, though, from the script. <laughs> the fuck you doing, you little droid? Uh... But no, yeah, I just love, once again, uh, panel about uh, R2's missing. Next panel, we found him. Yeah, and... <sighs> 
the, again, like, really, really crunching of moments here. So we have, what's this? Several creatures approaching from the southeast. In the movie, we have a couple of minutes of Luke crawling up this ridge, looking down. We see the Banthas in the distance. Here, it's literally just a couple of dots on the horizon with some dust clouds rising up and him going sand people and then immediately is jumped by a Tusken Raider coming at him yeah. from behind. Also, one of the great movie jump scares is that the the sand person being in his binoculars and all the tension, all the scares of that are just like, I don't know. It does just feel like we just got to come on, guys. You know, Star Wars. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Also, With- I don't know how you'd phonetically write a sand person scream or a Tusken Raider shout, but I don't think it would be. It wouldn't be there. Yog! Yog! <laughs> no, yeah, I don't. Uh, that is weird. Uh, and then all of a sudden, I do like we talk about a, a lack of uh, sound effects, and all of a sudden we get a lot of sound effects. Bang, crunch, wham. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All of a sudden things get real comic booky real fast. We also get one of the things that was famously changed in the special editions is the sound effect that <laughs> Obi Wan makes when he scares off the Sand People, which. Yeah, I think they would honestly need to change it again these days because there is the whole thing like in every adaptation, like novelization, they always usually say that he's doing some kind of scream of the uh, the crate dragon, which now that we've seen yeah. one of those in Star Wars is. Yeah, we need like, to we need to go back and change it again to mm-hmm. match up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but whereas we saw in the 70s one and we made a lot of uh, fun of them writing it as him going, woo. Well, because in the original Here, theatrical version, it is this like la- loud ululation of ooh. Yeah, it's kind of a ghosty sound. Yeah. Here, they've decided to weigh underplay it by showing him in the distance going, nah. Or is it hog? I'm not sure. Yeah, I like the Jerry Lewis. Nah, you nice lady. <laughs> no, the Tuscan Raiders. And the Tuscan Raiders <laughs> like, let's get out of here. He's going to do some pratfalls. <laughs> Oh, yeah. God, we're going to have to watch The Nutty Professor. Um, <laughs> yeah. And not the Eddie Murphy one. <laughs> uh, and also, I will say, when we... Sk- <laughs> not, not not the good one. Uh, <laughs> sorry to... Uh, if, uh, if if some Jerry Lewis fans are watching, I, I, I'm sorry, but I, the, the Eddie Murphy one's better. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, I do think bold decision here to recast Obi-Wan Kenobi as Sean Connery. Just look at that middle panel at the bottom. That's Connery, man. Yeah, wow. And I mean, he's me. Boy, wouldn't those these movies be different if Connery was Obi Wan? Um, I haven't got the name of Obi Wan since before you were born. <laughs> but this is another example of dialogue being like really compressed down into smaller and smaller bubbles, to where we lose yeah. any of the dramatic effect of him saying, "Well, of course I know him. He's me." Uh, and then no break. He just continues to roll into, of course I know him. He's me. I haven't gone by Obi-Wan since oh before you were born. Yeah. There, there's no, no it pause. Is like, there's no, I mean, you lose a lot of the performative aspects in a comic book, right? In general, but they've really made it seem like, oh, hello there. I'm this and that, and I'm Obi-Wan and let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no sense of, um, you also lose, I mean, of course you lose a lot of performative, but like, even the way you know the the hello there, not just because it's iconic, but because it speaks to the droid. It goes, come out from there. Like it speaks to this thing about I just saw him be scared of the sandfield. Now he's being kind to of this droid. It's telling you a lot about Obi Wan's character. All that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. And here he's just going, hello, everybody, come with me. I mean, we don't even get the hello there at all. No, I'm still bummed about that. Two adaptations of this and no hello there, which is, of course, as I think I mentioned before, my text alert on my phone still to this day is hello there. Same. Um, I think Though mine's Ewan tech- McGregor. Uh, mine is actually Ewan McGregor as well. But, or, or, or it could be the guy from Clone Wars. Who knows? He's so fucking good at doing that. Um, but I think it is. I think it's. Uh, I think it is the Revenge of the Sith one in particular. Mm-hmm. Hello there. When he drops. But yeah. In. We skip um, straight to yeah. suddenly we're at Obi Wan's house, and we're just busting out this lightsaber right now. And the immediate jump in dialogue to you fought in the Clone Wars is the like, same jump as the yeah. other one too it's like you guys are in rebellion battles you fought in the clone wars it's like man it almost seems like luke is just sitting down with people and going so tell me about the violence you've been involved in <laughs> i'm really fixated on any kind of trauma that might drudge up yeah <laughs> did you kill anybody did you ever off a guy obi-wan <laughs> oh a lot um and yes, we get all this stuff, and it's, I, I mean, I do like the drawings of this. I, I, it's, once again, it's more lovingly rendered. I like this shot. He does look more like Alec Guinness now, um, of uh, this sort of, this big panel here with the other panels around it of him holding the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. It's all, yeah. once again, the, 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 where it chooses to focus on, it knows certain moments are important in a way the 70s comic didn't. Yeah, but it those moments are spoiled jamming. by the 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 pacing, right? Yeah, because look at all this dialogue that's jammed in here. We get the yes, I fought in the Clone Wars. I was a Jedi. I knew your father. He was killed by a guy named Darth Vader. Here's his lightsaber. Let's talk about the Force. And all of this is happening like bum 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 down the page. Just like wow, this is just an information download. And it is in those scenes as well, but Al Guinness gives it more of a gravitas and he lingers well, on certain moments a little bit. Yeah. He, uh, I, hot take, he was pretty good at acting. Yeah, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody ever see a little film called Bridge on the River Kwai? He's okay in it. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it is just kind of, yeah, when you see it in black and white like this, you're just going, Oh, yeah, it's just him going, and this, and that, and the Force, and the Jedi, and the Clone Wars, and the things. Come with me to Alderaan. I'm not going to Alderaan. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, well, he's going to go to Alderaan, because Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru will also be killed off very quickly, too. But not on the next page, because, man, I will say, I really miss Vader with that cup of coffee. <laughs> I know, yeah. Next page, we cut back to the Death Star. We get Tarkin and Vader rolling in. We lose a ton of the bickering between the different admirals, which I think it like there are certain choices that you'd have to make when making a book like this, where it's like, okay, what what do we cut? And like some of the yeah. choices make logical sense to me, but yeah, and this is one of them where it's just like, okay, we can lose some of the admiralty bickering amongst themselves about how to use the Death Star properly. I love I love that stuff because I one of my favorite things in Star Wars is like corporate middle management like sure. red tape in the empire i love it but this this is an example of where a bridging works where it gets the point across a guy is disagreeing with vader vader chokes him that's what you need to know you need to see this sort of civilized like corporate round table and then a guy come in with force powers and choke a guy until he agrees with him mm-hmm. that's key that sets up the dynamic here and it also sets up what's always an interesting thing about a new hope, right? Is that Tarkin at least Vader's sort of letting him 
act like he's on the leash, right? That the Tarkin go like, enough of this Vader, release him. And I fucking love this drawing of Peter Cushing, one of my all-time favorite actors, so. There's also a, a strange addition here when Vader s- says the guy's name, Commander Tag. I know his name because of comics and years of lore. Yeah, his name is actually never said that. in the movie. I thought that I thought that was the case. Yeah, that that was. I was going to ask you because you have a, a, a little bit more immediate with the. I always just forget everyone's names anyway. Sure, uh, yeah. <laughs> but or I have a it, tough time sometimes with that. If if names are specifically called out in the movie, I can usually remember them. It's when right. these deeper layer characters like Commander Tag and Admiral Modi and stuff, whose names are never actually said in right. the films. Right, that's it exactly where I'm going. Uh, and that's why I'm saying, like, I don't remember. I I think that was my reaction. I was like, I would have remembered him saying that. I don't remember. And so that is interesting that this is now like, well, we better put that in. Well, because we've had 20 years to know that, like, oh, that's an important character that we've covered in novels and other comics. Mm-hmm. We're going to say his name. I love that they render his sideburns because I do think of the sideburns as being very iconic. Because I always <laughs> love the stuff in the original movie where the 70s ekes in a little bit. Like With those sideburns. Like, and sideburns, yeah. Yeah, where you're going like, whoa, that's a weird thing for like a high command guy in a fascist regime to look like. Um, Biggs Darklighter has one of the most epic mustaches in Star Wars. Oh, that's a full on Reynolds level stash in that thing, man. (laughs) Mm -hmm. He's smoothing it down. Mm. Yeah. And Uh, talk about weird pacing, though. Hard cut to Lucas suddenly back at the homestead. This is it for a single panel. And. Without any introduction into the finding the destroyed Sandcrawler to lead him back here. And without one of the great, like, the whole thing about, like, then that would lead them home. And you could do that in dot, 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 home, or go to another word bubble, which this guy is want to do. Um, But no, we hard cut to the Lars Homestead and an inset dialogue box that says these blaster points are too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are so precise. We're not looking at the Sandcrawler. What the hell are we talking about? If you've not seen Star Wars, you will have no idea. That is so weird. Yeah. It is bad. You guys, that's bad. It is. It's a thing where it's like I don't. I'm not. I'm not here to like harp on this, but just objectively, that's poor storytelling. And it's just again, I think bad adaptation. You can you can yeah. compress and change this story that, and it won't necessarily offend me. But doing it in such a way where the story you're now presenting be, starts to become nonsense, that's bad. Like you say. Yeah. Well, and here's another thing where I'm going like, so it's interesting that they they condense all this just so they can get in these three panels of Leia being questioned, which I actually think you could cut this because we'll get the thing where they're going to blow up Alderaan and they're asking her about this. Yeah. I mean, no, I like it. Yeah, but we cut to the next page and we see Dr. Ball, MD. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> What's your doctorate in? Poetry? Um <laughs> If anyone hasn't seen the Robot Chicken Star Wars bit about Dr. Ball, this little ball torture droid here. With a great Seth MacFarlane performance of being like, I'm a doctor, damn it! Uh, I, was, I was recently seeing a discussion online about, like, which Star Wars parody specials do you find superior, the, like, Family Guy or Robot Chicken? And, like, it's mm. a, an interesting split, actually. Though I, I think I personally lean Robot Chicken. I do too, only because the Family Guy ones are more in the airplane or Mel Brooks, where they're literally doing the movie. 
And mm-hmm. I like, I think, particularly since the humor you and I enjoy is the weird side tangents of things. The Emperor saying Stormtrooper, Stormtrooper, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Or like the 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 weird things within the world that are weird little gags or Dr. Ball MD. Or ride what? me like a tauntaun. What the hell is an aluminum falcon? Yeah. They what? <laughs> what do yeah, you mean they blew it up? <laughs> and I, I, I think what the, the family guy ones are very funny, but they are like they're they're much more of a commitment to like, okay, we're gonna recreate the thing, which is yeah. very funny. Um, yeah. but yeah, th- I just think this is so like, this is super important that we just get, th- I mean, I guess in, if it's just for Dr. Ball inclusion, then okay. Yeah. Um, cause but I always cut back to the, well. oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just gonna say, I always thought Dr. Ball was a funny design cause he's just a little ball robot with a hypodermic needle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we mm-hmm. cut back to. So we totally cut out the sand crawler being destroyed by uh, rebel tro- or by the stormtroopers, right? Can I talk about this whole comic? Is Jawa erasure? It really is because in the background here we have one of the most chilling things from the original Star Wars, which is three PO burning Jawa bodies. Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah, he's just casually doing that here. But we have no context for where that is. We're suddenly just seeing a tiny panel of tiny Luke and tiny Obi-Wan with Obi-Wan saying, there's nothing you could have done. So, like, according to the story logic of this comic, 3PO is burning the bodies of Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. Which, as we know from seeing the movie, are already the crispiest of critters. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) They were well done, sir. Um, Yeah. Gorged. Uh... Just because that moment is so brutal in the movie, too. I remember even as a kid being like, ah! And yeah. all of this is so that Luke can say, I want to come with you to Alderaan. We've got to go get off-world. We get our scene of them looking down at Mos Eisley, and we've cut all of this and truncated everything so we can have this page of the special yes. edition intro to Mos Eisley, which is an expanded scene from the films in which we get a bunch of CG monsters and people wandering around Mos Eisley just to make it feel a little bigger. Which has always been... Not as egregious as the Han shooting first thing, but has always just been embarrassing, too. Because George Lucas loves a physical gag. He can't... Like, there's so many additive things of, like, goofy shit. Like, not just Mm -hmm. how it looks, but like, oh, this jaw will fall. And you're just going like, oh, yeah, the movie really needed that. These are the weirder changes. There's the ones that are actually damaging to the movie... Because uh, I, I, I've uh, much like if you're a listener of James Bonding and their argument about the most embarrassing Bond moment, I've had the ongoing argument. I'm sure you've been in these, Gargoni, about the most egregious and damaging change in special edition. And mm. I do think it it has come down to Han shooting first or that fucking musical number in Jabba's Palace. It's Han shooting first or Snice Noodles, yeah. Um, it's gotta and, be right, and yes, and I know and that I, I, name. As angry as Han shooting first goes, I think Snice Noodles is actually the more upsetting thing to me. Yeah. Uh, quick, quick question, John, because I love doing this to you. Do you know the name of these uh, giant creatures the Jawas are riding? You know, I don't. These things weren't even <laughs> in the original movie. I think that's totally fair that I would not. Uh, what is called this a, thing called? It's called a Ronto. Oh, that's a pretty boring name. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Whatever. It's, I, I, I've never liked this. So we get a whole scene of uh, the Ronto 
like rearing up and the Jawa falling off, but we lose the these aren't the droids you're looking for scene. One what of the fuck? one of the most iconic. And it and once again, it's they tried to do it in this thing where it's like, how do we do that? He's just like, oh, the force, you know, whatever. We but we don't even get the dialogue of these aren't the droids you're looking for, which is, I mean, got to be in the top, at least top, for sure, top ten, if not top five, Star Wars lines, like just in terms of pop culture recall of it, right? It's the first use on screen of the Force, other than the Force yeah. choke. It, it's the first like, oh, good guys have powers too moment. And that's the thing where you're just going like, man, but it's just like, well, George said we gotta put the jaw was falling off the thing in there. That <sighs> needs a whole giant panel. Look at, like, it, even within the page, that, that gets the bulk of this page is that, which has nothing yeah. to do with their characters. Or even this mid this uh, panel in the middle here where we cut straight to, I don't know how he got past those troops. We couldn't have a panel before of him doing, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Instead, we have to have the weird CGI floating robot that got added in the special edition on the left side of the yeah. panel here. I mean, look at the way all of this is framed, even. Like, when we cut out to the wide of them pulling up the cantina, and we just get this alien for no reason, just to add more aliens. Yeah, and... <sighs> It's it's all about look at all the cool shit and start. This is doing this comic is doing the stuff I hate about some Star Wars stuff when it becomes all world building and it's like wait you're actually not focusing on plot anymore, right? And we're just trying to have you bathe in the setting a little bit. And I can appreciate moments of that of just like live in this world for a moment, have a moment where we break to the cantina band and we're like oh what's a weird that stuff's flavor. great, but not when we're trying to conserve space and eliminating key character scenes though. Yeah, yeah, no, it's bad, because we get in on the cantina, we lose the whole, we don't, no droids here, and we cut straight to Ponda Baba and Dr. Evazan. We don't even have uh, Obi-Wan walk away from that sequence, it just happens no. right in front of him. And he's just, I mean, <laughs> dude, this is more violent than it is in the movie. Look at that blood exploding upwards off of his arm, like, holy yeah. shit. Yeah. He he definitely cuts both of these guys down, and <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I but think then, there is an argument to be made that they could have walked away from the movie version. I don't think either of them are walking away from this one. Oh no, these guys are all kinds of dead. Blood loss alone, man. Mm -hmm. um, look at that blood. Also, which has never made sense to me because, of course, we established that the lightsaber cauterizes instantly. Yes. So I've never understood why there's like a bunch of blood around in the scene, and I know yeah. the answer is because they hadn't figured that out yet. But. Uh, mm -hmm. But also just the, like, he fucking murders these two guys, and it's like, hi, I'm Han Solo. <laughs> what? 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 Jesus Christ! No reaction to this. Yeah, we don't get the whole, this is Chewbacca, he's the first man on a ship, might be able to help us. And like, okay, oh, I Chewbacca's can see us... there. Yeah, Chewbacca's just there with... Chewbacca's face is really weird in this panel. It gets better throughout the book, but it it's does. got, like, these tiny little eyes, and, like... It... Yeah, I don't know what's going on here. Han Solo in this second page here, which is like where you get to see more detail, he's looking old. Uh, yeah, we get the exchange between Obi-Wan and Luke and Han here. Uh, we cut to Han Solo. I think the Han Solo here on this next page, just before he confronts Greedo, doesn't look half I bad, like actually. No, that's actually good. That's the thing. I mean, I, inconsistent design is still, it's not as egregious here, but it's like, there's definitely a like. Well, we're cut in for close-ups that are more. Yeah. Because look at the look at the thing before that. Like Luke's eyes are just a single line. 
Yeah. And again, I think a lot of work is being done here to not pointedly not include details so that your mind yeah. can kind of fill But then in. they'll do these inset panels where it's like, we're going to do a real nice drawing of Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. And then, of and course, then, we get the Greedo. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. I mean, we have to talk about the elephant in the room here, which is Greedo shot first, John. I don't know what to tell you. It's clear <laughs> as day right here on the page. It's in the comic book. And by being two panels, it's actually even more egregious than the movie where it's like, I love, though. I love because this is the special edition comic. We get the drawing of Han doing this. Oh, oh, yeah, the weird right jerky right. head motion. Because in the, in the movie... How the special editions fucked uh, with that scene. For yeah. those who don't know, and God, I guess there might be some people who don't know at this point. Maybe. Well, I don't know why you're listening or watching this show if you don't, but go ahead. <laughs> I mean, you. but here's the thing. It's been so long now. There might have been people who can hear the phrase Han shot first and not really have the context uh, for what that oh, means. Oh, that makes me sad that this has been long enough that there's a whole generation that only knows Greedo shooting first. Oh, oh. Yeah, there are like 20-year-olds and 24-year-olds who have only ever known Greedo shooting first. <laughs> oh, that, that that hurts my heart. <laughs> but in the original movie, Han uh, whips out his blaster and shoots Greedo as soon as Greedo threatens to kill him. Uh, Greedo doesn't even get a shot off. In the special yeah. edition released in 1997, I, I, they added this really weird jerky CG blur motion to Harrison Ford so that his head is whipped to the side as a blaster bolt goes off and he dodges it just in time to oh then pull his blaster and kill Greedo. Yep. So uh, this book is making that like absurd thing that they added 20 years after the original movie came out yeah, yeah. into that's what happened canonically in order to make Han less ruthless, I guess? I never understood that, because it's not like Han shot him in cold blood. Greedo basically says, I am going to kill you, and then Han shoots him, right? Yeah, he says, oh, it, was never, it was always in self-defense still. I never was like, and if anything, it was always the cool gunslinger thing of, I'm going to get you before you even have time. I always saw it as more of a quick draw thing, right? It's like, yeah. before you can even unholster it, I'm so badass. Um, it it actively damages how cool my favorite character in all of Star Wars is. <laughs> this so this this scene me. does damage it, but I think it also doubles down on the awkwardness of the next scene we get Han in, and it'll be in a couple of pages. But they go out of their way to include in this book, which is his original confrontation with Jabba. Yes, uh, I do just want to point out before we leave this page, though. Nice to see the Wolfman from the Universal Monster movies getting work. Yeah, well, look, he was uh, around, and I I, uh, like... I did shoot a little cameo for Star Wars, actually. Uh, yeah, look, he, he gets some day like work also, here and there. Talk about the iconography of that. That is a straight up like uh, good rendering of that bartender actor. That's what I'm talking about. When, like, everything is iconic. They're like, oh, I know what that fucking bartender looks like. Um, <laughs> all right, so now we're back on the Death Star. Yes, we cut back. We have the briefly. We have a scene with Tarkin saying, "Look, we're gonna set course for Alderaan, and it's time to demonstrate the full power of this battle station." Yeah, and then we're yeah. out of there. 
we this hard thing, cut to this, 3PO and R2 hiding in a shuttle bay somewhere. From the same wonky looking storm drill. What is this like extended? It's like yeah. it's too long. It's weird. I don't know. And then, uh, boy, there is, yeah, very, very little Jawas. We don't really get a conclusion to Uncle on Amber, but boy, we get every semblance of Mos Eisley in this. <laughs> well, and that was a big part of the special edition is making Mos Eisley feel more exotic, I guess. Uh, at least we don't spend a whole whole page of him selling the land speeder, so that's something. Yeah, oh my god, yeah, that that is true. Uh, so yeah, they're they're wandering around. All right, let's get to Jabba because this was one of the big special edition things, right? Because which is interesting scene... because they're working off of the shooting draft of the first movie, so that was included in the old adaptation even though it wasn't right. in the movie proper. And it was a scene they actually did film in the movie, which just, they didn't know what Jabba looked like at that point, so it was just a dude. It's a guy in, like, a big fur coat is what I remember of seeing the onset footage, yeah, right? Like, exactly. he really is sort of reading as, like, generic crime boss from anything. Right, and in the 1977 comic, they made him into a weird, like, uh, stock-eyed alien creature with like a weird yeah. mustache thing going on and in here we get the whole sequence played out which again in a good adaptation or you know the original cut of the movie would lose the scene entirely because that didn't was... Han just kill a guy <laughs> that Jabba sent I know it's always one of those things where it's like I get that people like Jabba I love Jabba but in his proper place and I also actually like the structure of just talking about Jabba and then revealing him in the third movie. I think it's better structuring if it's like Jabba, Jabba, this guy's trouble. And then you see him you're like, oh, he's a giant slug. But yeah. this scene is not a particularly great scene. It's redundant. And that bit when he steps on Jabba's tail is a fucking nightmare. Because, again, for those who don't know and weren't around for this, there's a scene in this bit where Han walks around the back of Jabba. And again, as they shot it, he was just a guy. So he could just walk around right. behind him. But they had to make up this weird visual gag because again, Lucas loves those, of him stepping on the tail of Jabba the Hutt. And they do this weird shift digitally to make Harrison Ford a little bit taller for half a second. It looks really awkward. And it also really detracts from how much you need to worry about Jabba the Hutt if Han Solo can literally step on him and get away yeah. with it. Like, it's it, it's one thing for Han to be kind of shitty and, like, false confidence. Hey, Jabba, you listen to me. It's another thing for him to be that disrespectful because it is like, well, I guess Han's not afraid of this guy at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And also... The beginning of Empire, when he's like, well, I've got to leave the Rebels, even though I love Princess Leia, because I've got a death warrant on my head. Yeah, it's like, this guy is the most dangerous crime boss. It really does damage to Jabba. And also, uh, Boba Fett, for no reason, of course, too. Which, again, they added in the special edition, just to retroactively have Boba yeah. Fett in this scene. Uh, and look, man, I love the Fett man, but mm, who needs him here? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. And... Uh, yeah, so we, we cut to them loading up on the Millennium Falcon. We've got the long-nosed snoot spy pointing towards them, saying oh, they yeah. went that way. Yeah. Blast them. This is kind of weirdly rendered in terms of like an exciting action scene. This like uh, Han from behind shooting at them is kind of a weird, not exciting way to draw this. Yeah. And, that, and also the shootout, that's it. 
that one panel is the shootout, and all of a sudden Hans is in the cockpit. Yep. <laughs> Don't oh, worry about how he got there. They blast off, they get out, they make the jump to light speed, and they have a brief interaction with the Star Destroyers. But, yeah. Uh, we get the brief thing about Dustin Crops boy. I mean, at least they included that line, I guess. It, I mean, it, it's... It's good because at least that's on character. Like that's a further thing that adds character to Han Solo. But we're just yeah. going to jump to Lightspeed, and I will say they have chosen a not particularly exciting place to end part one of this comic. Yeah, part like, one make, ends with them jumping right. to Lightspeed. Uh, we get so much time spent in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon in this book when we could have, like, I don't know, had context for any other scene that happened before this. Yeah, but. No. Uh are out of here, man. <laughs> yeah, we needed Luke saying, what's that flashing light? Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was super important. We don't get any sound effects for the sounds Chewie makes, which I found very strange. Obviously, nope. we b- made fun of them quite a bit. Here. But just in general, Chewie is such a non-entity in this issue. I want to go back a little ways to the first interaction with around. Han. Do they actually even say Chewie's name at all? I don't think they do. Captain of the Millennium Falcon, Chewie's just there. They never actually introduced Chewbacca. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Because the attitude is just, you know who that is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Because, yeah, in the movie, it, it is definitely... Uh, Obi-Wan, who introduces Chewbacca the first time. This is Chewbacca. He is the first man of a shuttle that might suit our purposes. But yeah, that's the end of issue number one of the Star Wars and New Hope special edition. Uh, mm, so special. Obviously, we gave the 1977 version a hard time for taking way too long to get anywhere. If you remember, the first issue of that ended on the Tusken Raiders jumping Luke. And that's a good dramatic like yeah. cutoff point. But also by the end of that six-issue series, we were definitely feeling like, ugh, this is going on for too long. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, whereas this now is, it has the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah. Will we ever be happy with a New Hope adaptation, Gurgani? We'll get to the manga version eventually, and we'll see how we feel about I that. I actually, I am, I am really looking forward to that, because once again, in the manga structure it's it's going to be less choppy because you have more time Mm -hmm. but yeah that is the first issue we're going to be covering all four issues of this i think we're going to have a lot of the the same issues with every uh ver oh gee same issues with every issue yep as as our but uh yeah that's our job, damn it, though. But that's our job, damn it. I, I am very interested to continue talking about this simply because it does represent such a strange pivot point in Star Wars. And I think that's part of the show is detailing these moments in Star Wars fandom where things are on the verge of or already changing. It, because Star Wars fandom is such this monument of pop culture... You have these turning points, whether it be at the very beginning when no one had any context for what this was going to become to this strange uh, high watermark of, well, we don't have any new movies, but we're still so inundated with Star Wars as this piece of media that it has become its own multimedia franchise without multimedias. (laughs) 
Right, 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 right. Uh, well, we'll we'll have to continue this adventure next. I have some idea of what we'll be talking. about. <laughs> I have a uh, feeling have we might get to a, a blowing up planet, or yeah, we might see a oh, certain be, tractor beam be. being shut down. Could be. Could uh, be. But uh, yeah, we'll wrap things up for this week. Absolutely. And if you want to support everything we do over here on May the Panel Be With You, uh, please check us out over on YouTube if you're listening to us, or if you want to listen to the podcast on just audio only, you can do that too. Uh, leave reviews wherever you can for the podcast. If you want to comment below, let us know if there are there any other adaptations of a new hope that we don't know about. If so, let us know. We can track them down. Uh, we've got the special sure. edition. We've got the manga edition. We've got the original new hope. Maybe there's, uh, there's the infinities one that I can't wait to get to, but I'm excited. To those. those infinities comics are very fun. They are um, very fun indeed. Uh, uh, but yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah uh, like, comment, uh, subscribe, like, dingle the bingle, all the things on YouTube. All that. And of course, if you want to support the show even further, we do have a patron page, uh, which there'll be a link to at the end. Uh, and that is uh, patron.podbean.com slash punchup, where you can support this show, as well as the other great shows we do on the Punchup Entertainment Network. And there is cool exclusive bonus content coming from May the Panel Be With You. So stay tuned for announcements about that. Can't wait. Uh, but as always... I have been Mike Gergoni. I'm John Campbell. And may the panel be with you. Mm-hmm.